the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. All right, let's get it going right here, right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we go back in time and we look at the finer days of professional wrestling, and we check out the New Generation era and maybe I'm in the minority, but I love the new generation era, and I love bringing it to you every single week and dissecting a moment, dissecting a match, and running down a little bit of history. And that's exactly what we're doing today, but we're kind of switching gears a little bit. And I'm going to welcome in a guest uh, that I have uh, been really uh, <laughs> dying to get on for quite a while uh, after I had found some of his work online. It is a former artist and designer for the World Wrestling Federation from 1990 to 1994, and then later on as a freelancer. Uh, but we're talking about the art of Tom Fleming today. And for all us new generation fans and growing up during the early 90s, we know Tom's work very well. And now if you weren't sure it was actually done by him, we're going to hammer it home today, folks, because if you do remember the 1993 Survivor Series uh, iconic poster and Coliseum video cover of the All-Americans getting ready to feast on some foreign fanatic turkey. Well, that was designed and actually drawn and painted by Tom Fleming, and we're going to talk about all of that today. Uh, this was an incredible chat covering basically his whole entire run with the WWF and even dipping into the latter stage of the Federation years, the Hogan era, if you will. Listen to the Hogan era here on the TMPT Empire. But what we talk about with Tom is not just the creation of the Royal Rumble poster from 1994 and the Survivor Series poster from 1993, but the different creative gimmicks that he had to help design. And we name them, we run them down, we talk about them, we talk about what they were uh, inspired by and what was told to him by management when creating a design for a new character or a new creation from the mind of Vince McMahon. Uh, so this is a fascinating topic. If you've never heard of some of these stories before, you don't know the process. Uh, Tom gives us a huge, huge inside look. Uh, some that I don't know if you've ever, you've ever seen or you've ever heard on another podcast before. So I really want you to enjoy this today. Uh, this is truly the declassifying that we've been trying to do here on New Generation Declassified, and it's unearthing these stories like we get here from Tom. This was a great chat, and I, I'm not done with Tom. I would like to talk to him about a lot more. Uh, so we have so much more on the horizon, but I want to get into this interview because uh, I've been waiting to publish it for about a week, and I'm dying to hear uh, everybody's thoughts and opinions on this chat. So if you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter. On Instagram, it's at IB Exclusives. My website is IBExclusives.com. You find all my autograph signings and things going on in the IB Exclusives world there. This website is TMPTEmpire.com. All the websites under the TMPT umbrella. Follow everything that we do here on social media, please. And you find John at Two Man Power Trip. And you get all the links to the podcast that we've got. Uh, in addition, please, 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 please support belowthecollar.com. Get yourself a Chadster t-shirt. It's belowthecollar.com slash IB exclusives. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have a Tom Fleming inspired 
uh, design for the uh, Below the Collar IB Exclusives store soon. But you got to buy his Chadster shirt first, and that would be uh, absolutely phenomenal. So uh, we will catch everybody next week for the return of New Generation Declassified. And I usually say to catch you on the flip side, but now we're going to catch you on the flip side of this sound effect and right into Mr. Tom Fleming. All right. Well, we're getting back in here on New Generation Declassified, of course, the second half of today's show and uh, very, very happy to be joined by a special guest today. Now, I don't always have guests on this show, but sometimes it does call for it. And I thought no better time than right now to welcome in uh, the art of Tom Fleming, Mr. Tom Fleming joining me today. All right. Yeah. Glad to be here. Um, and, uh, you know, chat about the, uh, the old days at the WWF. Well, it's going to be something we will definitely be chatting about for sure. We'll get to that in, in uh, just a second. And just for the preview for those of the listeners that are listening and they know the new generation era, we say that's about 1993 to early 1997. So you touched the beginning half of that, but a lot of what you did touched a, a big portion of that WWF time. But before we get into that, let's talk about your background. You are an amazing artist. Okay. I'm just going to say it right now. I've been staring at your website for the better part of about a week and a half. Uh, tell the fans and listeners, how did you get into wanting to do this and some of the things that you've done throughout, you've done throughout your career? Well, okay. So it started off, you know, uh, at typical, uh, kid, um, since I've been nine years old, uh, you know, the dream was to become a Marvel comic artist. And um, I never really, th I never thought that that was possible. Um, I was focused when I went to art school, um, you know, I started doing art uh, in my free time as a kid and then uh, into middle school, into high school. And then I'm um, actually uh, was fortunate enough to have some parents that were uh, supportive and uh, I actually was able to go to art school at Syracuse University under their uh, illustration, their uh, BFA program. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and really what my focus was at that time was fantasy art, you know, wizards, dragons, uh, you know, all that stuff, which had a, a bit more of a basis of, of, of a re realistic basis as opposed to a uh, stylized um, comic book kind of look. So the realism kind of suited me more. Um, and I was, uh, I worked from, you know, with photo reference and things like that. So, um, you know, the focus was fantasy and went through uh, art school, graduated, and then started looking for work. And one of the ads that I answered from the New York Times was a generic ad about, uh, you know, looking for an illustrator, blah, 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 this and that. And I answered the ad and it turns out it was the WWF. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and I had no idea that it was the WWF. They didn't even tell me who it was going into the interview. I showed up, walked into the, uh, into the office and started, you know, just started seeing all the wrestling posters and all that stuff hanging up. And I thought it was the advertising agency that was doing the marketing and promotion and stuff like that for them. And, uh, you know, it turns out in the in the middle of the interview that I realized that I was uh, sitting and in, being interviewed by the WWF. Uh, wow. Yeah. 
That's great. So you're from New York. So uh, were you at the office in Connecticut? Did you go up to Stanford? Yeah. And actually, right when I went on my interview in Stanford, um, that was before, right before Titan Towers. Uh, it was actually being built at the time. And they were renting space, in, uh, office space in a, in a building downtown. Uh, and then once I started working there, we transitioned and moved into the uh, into the new building, which is now you know known as Titan Towers. Right. That's yeah. That's unbelievable. Now I worked at WWE in 2006, and me as a longtime fan walking in there, it was like walking into Yankee Stadium and yeah. not really knowing where to keep your eyes because you wanted to look around and see all the cool things on the walls. And uh, basically, just the building itself is uh, is a pretty pretty impressive uh, thing to go into. But were you a wrestling fan? Did you catch these same things? Did you you didn't notice it right away? You thought you were in an ad agency. So were you a fan growing up at all? Not at all. Wow. As a matter of fact, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about uh, wrestling except for the household names. Like at the time, you know, of course, Hulk Hogan, Andre right. the Giant, um, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Superfly, you know, like those guys that everybody knew. Um, but otherwise, no, I didn't even know who the Ultimate Warrior was. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're not going to hold it against you because of your uh, body of work. <laughs> so that's that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. I, let's just say I, I uh, it was on the job training. You know. What are your first impressions of getting you know the work from them and starting the job? What's your first thoughts? Uh, my first, well, my, they it started off um, as like a trial period. So my first job was actually working, not working in the office there. It was doing uh, a painting for the Legion of Doom's uh, merchandise poster, which was, you know, if you remember back then, there was a, uh, a poster of Hawk and Animal standing in an alleyway. Yep. And, uh, and that basically they said, we need this super realistic so that we could superimpose the figures on top and uh, in Photoshop and... Um, you know, and uh, here's the deal. They, you know, kind of gave me the rundown. I took it back to my home studio, worked on it there, and then just kind of drove it in. And once they were real happy with that, they said, we're going to put you on a, uh, like a two to three day trial working in house. If that goes well, we'll go two to three weeks and we'll go from there. And, you know, it turned out to be pretty much almost a decade. Yeah, I mean, that's unbelievable. And for the transparency of the story, for, so everybody knows, uh, you started working there in 1990. So it's technically, it's a few years before, you know, the era that I cover on this show, but I don't really care about right, that right now because I want to talk about that era in the early 90s. You know, was it, uh, the culture surrounding WWE when you work there can be labeled as either the greatest place in the world to work or one of the toughest places in the world yeah. to work. So where did you kind of fall into that discussion? Uh, well, it, it was actually 1991 when I started, and um, and as far as like you know, as far as my experience working there, I pretty much have nothing uh, bad to say. I had right. a, I had a fantastic time there. Uh, granted, I did stay out of a lot of the office politics, which there which did fly. <laughs> um, there was there was a lot of politics going on and stuff, and I kind of sat back, did my job, um, stayed one late when I needed to, came in early when I needed to, and you know, and you know, did my job. That was pretty much it. Um, I was only like 26 years old at the time, and um, you know, there was just it was just one of those things where I couldn't believe that 
um, you know, this is what they were paying me to do. And um, I, I was greatly appreciative. Uh, it was the first time in my life that I was making, uh, you know, very good money. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, pretty much kept my nose to the grindstone and uh, just did my job. And that's, you know, kind of tough to do uh, from, you know, at least what I recall being in that. And in, in, I was in a TV studio. It's kind of hard to stay off the radar. So that's pretty good job uh, on your part. Now, you're also there. I'm not sure how much it affected the art department, but you're there during a pretty tumultuous time for the company. A lot of scandals, a lot of news yeah. around the uh, the WWF in the early 90s. Did it affect other parts of the business or for you? Was it just, again, business as usual? Keep your nose, uh, you know, planted in your uh, your your paint supplies. Yeah, no, it it absolutely affected, uh, you know, because, you know, when all the scandals started happening, it was, you know, I was in the, you know, I was there for a year or two, definitely working regular job and stuff. And, um, you know, I was there when I started the uh, the popular, the, it was like the peak of the popularity and. Right. There was money everywhere. They, I mean, my God, when we went to the TV tapings um, uh, for debuts of costumes and things like that, um, they had monstrous buffets of food and stuff for the wrestlers and, you know, rent-to-cars and hotel rooms and all the, you know, everything. Uh, and then as the scandals were happening and it was hitting the media and there was, you know, you could see the effects, um, you know, First, it started small where it's like, OK, you have to share a rent a car with, uh, you know, with the other, uh, you know, art department folks. Um, then it was kind of like, do you mind sharing a hotel room, that kind of thing? Then we then it started getting bad and they closed down the cafeteria in the building. They started renting out space um, on the second floor, uh, which was I forget what department it was, but they started renting. It became a um, uh, a travel agency started renting space there oh and, wow and it it just you i could and they just started laying off freelancers and it was sure it was you know completely atrophying and you could see it um so you kind of just wondered you know as it you know as you were you know living the the good life and then it will you know that these things were slowly kind of dwindling um, you wondered, you know, okay, how much longer do I have here? And, uh, you know, how, you know, how far is this going to go kind of right. thing? So, yeah, it, it absolutely affected, uh, it affected the job. Now, during that time when things were a little more lean, you know, that's kind of where the transition starts into the, the talent that they would let go and the talent they'd start to bring in. But from the creative point of view and from your point of view, what was it like at that point? Were they looking to make new stars or did they feel as if that, that, or did you feel that maybe that was the spot where it was kind of a lull because everything was so focused in these other departments that maybe the wrestling side was getting affected. And for you as a designer, you know, you don't have to come up with a lot of, uh, you know, debut attires if they're not really bringing in people that need that fresh coat of paint. Yeah, they um okay, so yeah, it's a great question that I've never been asked before. So at that time, <clears throat> there was there was a mad uh, search for the next Hulk Hogan. Right. You know, Hulk, you know, you, you know, everyone knows what Hulk did for the uh for the um industry. And he left, went to this WCW, and there was this, I mean, really all they wanted to Vince was obsessed with finding the next uh icon. And, you know, we went through, you know, we had a lot of pressure on us to, 
you know, because we had to create the looks and things like that. So, you know, you you just don't know how far to go with the gimmicks or just keep it simple. Hulk Hogan was, you know, as you know, the, you know, absolutely simple idea and his charisma kind of, you know, really was the um, appeal. So they tried, you know, Sid, you know, Sid justice going from psycho Sid. Uh, He didn't really work. He did okay, but there was just not that charisma and appeal. Uh, they tried to bring in Lex. Lex, uh, you know, did fine also, and but it just wasn't. It it became evident that you can't kind of force that kind of thing. It has to happen organically, and it didn't happen until uh, I actually uh, stopped working in house, moved on, and uh, then of course Stone Cold right. comes in and becomes that. And I don't even they weren't even really looking, you know towards him to be that it just kind of organically happened from, you know, my understanding. Right. But to, you know, your credit that you were a part of the creative process for a lot of the characters that would stick around for a few years and would be identified by their unique look, whether it be, you know, their, their character art on their, their tights or the color scheme of their attire, that kind of stuff stuck during that mid nineties, 92, 93, 94 time because it was an age of bright colors and neons and, and a lot of cool looks that you helped uh, become a part of. So let's start talking about that if you want to. Um, we can go into the characters. So you helped design the attire for characters like Papa Shango. Uh, and actually, not just attires, the concept of the character. Papa Shango, uh, Crush, uh, Tatanka, uh, Lex Luger, the Narcissist. Uh, Razor Ramon in his very, uh, I have to say, eclectic uh, first concept, uh, <laughs> but different characters of this stature. So take us through that. If you can remember some of these uh, iconic characters that you were part of the creative process and bring to life. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and and like you said, sometimes uh, they had the concept. They came to us with the concept. We just had to create the visuals. And other times they said, hey, here's a picture of this guy. He's coming in come up with uh, five different concepts and they asked, you know, maybe three or four different designers to come up with concepts. And we laid, you know, 15, 20 concepts in front of Vince and he chose uh, whatever the concept was that he preferred. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was the, it was the uh, early to mid nineties and yeah, there was a lot of colors and gimmicks and, you know, um, uh, you know, there was no limit to kind of like how cheesy you can get and uh, or how cool you could get to, you know depending on which way you wanted to go and um you know one of the uh you know one of my favorites was they gave me full reign and i came up with a few concepts and it turns out um uh he's now a friend of mine uh brian clark with the atom bomb yeah uh, yeah very cool uh, yeah adam bomb you know and, and again during that time you're handed a guy the size of brian clark with this really cool look, but this Adam Bomb character is supposed to be the child of Three Mile Island. And with your background of being a comic book fan and, and a comic book artist, you're literally making the concept of these superheroes and supervillains come to life. So tell, let's start with start with Brian Clark. You get handed a picture of Brian Clark. You get handed the concept of Adam Bomb. What's your first uh, point of action? Okay. Well, actually, um, yeah, uh, they gave me a headshot of Brian. And they just said, come up with concepts. So uh, 
immediate, it was kind of a strange thing, you know, being a comic book fan and aspiring artist, you know, someday I'm going to make it to the, you know, to Marvel, that kind of thing. Um, this was my chance to kind of do the comic book thing. And the, uh, the nuclear concept was immediately popped. I mean, it was just, you know, I was just like, all right, let's uh, kind of explore this. And I started doodling. And that was the first concept that I did for him. And then I moved on and did a, um, uh, geez, it was like a, uh, some sort of like, um, mercenary kind of idea. Then I did a, like a medieval knight kind of concept with chainmail. Um, you know, there was a biker look like a real kind of Harley, uh, kind of biker look. And all along, I knew that the, uh, the nuclear concept was, was the one that I preferred and when we laid the uh, concepts out in front of Vince, he was immediately, uh, you know, this is the one. So it was fun. But then, uh, you know, after it got approved, they they came to me and they said, OK, now that it's approved, you know, the costume's going to be made by uh, the girls in Chicago. Um, you have to come up and actually produce the goggles, the gloves and uh, <laughs> and the accessories. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, of course, at that time, I, you know, I had no idea how to actually make costume stuff because it just doesn't it doesn't have to just look cool it has to actually um it you know it has to be practical and it has to be durable and and functional so um you know i got just went to it uh tried a bunch of stuff and actually hand made the uh goggles hand painted them took uh some bret hart merchandise uh those pink mylar uh glasses that he wears yep cut them up and use them as the reflective lenses. And oh, wow. um, okay. yep. No, not many people know that. And actually no. Brian, <laughs> Brian didn't even know that. Oh my um, gosh. I told him, I said, yeah, I, I made these goggles and stuff, but you know, it was just glass and you could see straight through them. And there was like no mystery of like that comic book kind of like thing of if you could see the guy, you know, the character's eyes, there's just not that, you know, kind of, you know, real powerful. And so I had to come up with something and I went up to the merchandise department, got one of those uh, Mylar glasses, you know, they're at the time, I think they were like five bucks or something right. out of the uh, middle of the magazine. You could order them. And I just took the uh, lenses, sliced circles out of them and inserted them. And boom, the, that glowing pink color really worked with the yellow and red, uh, uh, paint of the of the goggles and the costume so yeah yeah that was a fun little tidbit <laughs> that is genius <laughs> i never in a million years would have known that that is a, a unbelievable little tidbit we just learned uh by uh mr fleming here now of course there's other ones adam bomb being a great one to start with but let's go back to that eclectic razor ramon attire now i can corroborate the the long pant tights that he has on in your uh graphic design because if anybody has ever seen his dark match that he has with Tito Santana that was a release on one of the DVDs, he's wearing purple long tights. So now in your concept, he's got black, but he's very, I don't know how you would say this. He's just, uh, he's very like YMCA character like here with the hat and the gold uh, vest and the gold chains, which was a part of his attire. Take me back to this one specifically, because we would never have seen a Razor Ramon that looked like this. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the lowdown on razor. Um, this was one of the early, 
this is one of the early costume assignments that I got. Uh, my boss, Adriana, and my buddy, Jay, were also, and I think another one or two designers, we were all working on this concept. And that those purple pants you referred to, those were actually designed by Jay. Okay. He came up, he came up with those purple pants. I didn't, I didn't like the purple pants look. I wanted to go all black, yellow, and red. Um, so I came up with the, you know, the the pants that are in that concept con concept sketch. The uh it's basically uh the black pants with the razors all over them right. and then the logo, you know, on the trunk part. And um what happened was when Vince approved the image, they didn't have the, there was kind of there's always a feel out stage of the costume. So and they do revisions and things like that. So um my basic concept got chosen with Jay's pants and Razor. Actually, I saw Razor down in the gym and he said and he came over to me and he said, man, he goes, I, I love the concept, except two things. One, I've been working way too hard on my legs and I need trunks, not pants. <laughs> and, and I was like, all right. And he definitely said he preferred the uh, the black and yellow. I said, I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll we'll turn the pants into trunks and put the razor blades on the knee pads. And he was like, that's awesome. And he's like, and no hat. And I was like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And everybody understood that, you know? Um, so yeah, basically what, what it came down to a lot of people don't understand like that drawing, I had to work from templates that my boss would give us. So it, it was kind of a strange thing that a lot of the characters have this kind of almost an effeminate look to them because she was a fashion, uh, she was like a, a fashion designer. Right. And she, and she would put that kind of flair to it. Whereas the drawings that I actually drew, like the Adam Bomb concept and things like that, were much more comic book. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> kind of looking. So, yeah, you know, it, it it's they weren't meant to be great pieces of art. They were meant to display the concepts, illustrate the concepts so that Vince can just choose which concept, you know, he, he liked best. Um, so yeah, the razor, uh, the razor wound up turning out, uh, turning out excellent when they, when we kind of like streamlined it and, uh, adjusted it towards his, uh, you know, towards his preferences. Yeah, that's and I everything you just said about that conversation with uh, Razor Ramon, it's exactly how it would sound if you heard Razor Ramon say it directly, because that's exactly what he would say about the legs. <laughs> that's yep. exactly what he would say about the hat. And although I do, I, I wonder if uh, Mr. McMahon would uh, balk at the hat not being used because that's merchandising. And that's another big part of these concepts is how can they merchandise the talent based off of how they look. And with a guy like Adam Baum, you got your footballs, right? You have the, the classic Nerf footballs that were uh, out. Yeah. And you would think the glasses could be uh, also merchandise and, and for sale. And for Razor Ramon, what did it end up being? It ended up being the razor-shaped foam cutout gimmick, you know? And it ended yeah. up being uh, the you know, even the teddy bear with the vest and the tights with the trunks, uh, with the knee pads, like you said, with the razors on it. So... How much of the merchandising did you have to put into effect when you would put one of these concepts together? Uh, actually, none. They never came. They never approached us 
with any kind of like um, a vision of merchandising. It was always, we came up, whatever the concept was. Now, maybe that came into play when Vince was in, you know, in Vince's head when he was choosing the costumes. Right. But really, um, they never asked us to do anything that would lend itself to merchandising. It was always the merchandise came later after the concept and the costume was released. And they, you know, if it was a successful character, then they would uh, roll with whatever they could, uh, whatever they could produce. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Cause you know, I mean, looking at some of these, you know, like you said, there's original concepts and there's variations, you know, guys, like the ones that you have on your website, flemart.com. And we'll obviously we'll plug that too going forward, but crush the one, two, three kids, Sparky plug, Papa Shango, even Tatanka. These are looks that we got to know as they debuted. And as we got to see them on TV, um, but then there's other variations, and this is one I really want to touch on here is because Max Moon, on your website, you have the prints uh, available to purchase. Two very distinct looks, completely different than the final product. Yes. The final product almost looking more cartoony, where the ones you have here look like they're straight out of Masters of the Universe. And I'd love to know the process behind Max Moon. Okay, so there's a whole story behind that. Um, at the time, Max Moon was uh, this was the, the idea behind Max Moon when I when they gave us the assignment was they were it was the introduction of Mexican wrestling uh, into the WWF that, you know, a smaller guy that was acrobatic and, um, you know, he wasn't a massive guy like, you know, Hulk or you know, or Brian Clark or any of those guys. So I forget, um, geez, Conan. Yes. Conan was originally Max Moon. Correct. And um, so when they came, they were they were willing, because they were going for the whole Mexican market, they were uh, willing to put a lot of money into this costume. So they wanted to really push the gimmick. And we had special. So I started doing the concepts uh, that I, you know, kind of, you know, was um, inclined to do like the comic book type stuff. And my boss was doing other concepts. And really what wind up happening is she liked some of the elements from my designs and she took some of that and she infused them into her design. So that was totally um, uh, a concept that was um, just between the two of us. And then they hired special effects guys from LA to come in and do the fire, you know, the fireball out of his wrists and the confetti, uh, the, uh, they, they hooked up like fire extinguishers to his backpack. So it looked like he was, you know, blasting off. Meanwhile, it was just the, uh, like CO2 powder. Um, and, uh, so they, they spent, they spent quite a bit of money and time with that costume with big hopes. And then um, I remember during the debut, I was going up to, uh, geez, it was either, um, it was somewhere up in the very Northeast, uh, Maine, either Portland, Maine, or somewhere in uh, Rhode Island. And um, Conan wound up getting the wrong flight and, and flying into, uh, he wound up flying into like the Midwest <laughs> and Vince was furious and they had to rent him a limo and drive him across, you know, halfway across the country to get to the TV taping. It was a big mess. And, um, and I forget, I think he was just so unreliable and such a, 
you know, a kook that uh, they wound up replacing him with uh, Diamond. Um, and uh, so I don't know the real details of that, but um, I remember it was very short lived, uh, you know, and I guess, uh, you know, sometime down the road, Ray Mysterio would kind of step into that position of the Mexican wrestler uh, market. But um, yeah, there was a, a huge, a, a huge uh, debacle going on when he, uh, when he didn't show up for the uh, debut and, um, we had, you know, we were sitting there with all the, you know, all the, this equipment and the, the, um, costume and the, the, you know, it was, it, we were all like nervous and wondering if this stuff was going to actually, you know, be effective in front of the audience. You had to be careful with the fire that, you know, like it was safe, uh, all kinds of stuff. So that was probably the most involved I've ever been with a, with a costume design. Yeah, and Conan is pretty uh, he's pretty transparent about how that all went and it was basically it was a recipe uh for disaster and they should have just brought him in under his uh <laughs> regular name in his regular attire because he basically was the Hulk Hogan of Mexico during that time and coming in for the Max Moon gimmick, yes, they might have had high hopes for it, but as we all saw, just it didn't have the leg. Maybe it looked like it could on paper. I don't know how it really could translate to live television. I think it had to be on a taped show because it was so like unique. But again, the way the concepts are versus the final product, I mean, this they are awesome. <laughs> and it really could have been like a Masters of the Universe style character. And they, if, funny enough, the WWE would end up releasing Masters of the Universe style action figures. You could release these Conan sketches and they could be drawn into that line because they are that on part. Was that any kind of factor in, in creating this concept is like the Masters of the Universe style villain? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, I was one, I was not a fan of Masters of the Universe back then. Um, Really had no influence on it. It was uh, it was truly just a combination of thinking of like um, kind of how they I think the Road Warrior or the Legion of Doom um, was like, OK, we can do these like kind of football shoulder pads that kind of, you know, are removable before he wrestles. But you could also create that um bulkier kind of more fantastical look right and so it started with like the idea of legion of doom shoulder pads and then we're like okay we can add a backpack and trying to the motorcycle helmet you have to think of ways that you could take a normal easy found object and turn it into something that looks you know fantastical so i was really just um trying to think of ways to create a costume that wasn't going to be impossible and you know we you know we certainly couldn't hire like uh, a company to have to specially kind of do plastic injection molding and create uh you know uh these objects so everything was based on practicality and what we could do with you know found objects Right. So, yeah, it was more of just kind of combining comic book, comic book concept with uh, practicality of how we're going to produce the costume. Oh, they just look 
fantastic. I mean, it's such a great <laughs> interpretation and I almost wish it probably could have done better had it been one of these uh, choices. Uh, but for the interest of time, I want to just move forward a little bit. And this is how I ended up finding you was just kind of looking over stuff I want to do for the show. And again, we cover this certain time frame of 93 to about early 97. And in the later part of 1993 and early 1994, your artwork could be the standout of the entire era because the Survivor Series 1993 could be not... There's no other WWF pay-per-view that's more identifiable during this era for the artwork over Survivor Series 93. This is a masterpiece. <laughs> and I'm saying from the both sides, the babyface and the heel side, the foreign fanatics, the All-Americans, uh, take us back to this, if you can, what they wanted and what this finished product was. And if everybody remembers this, and you know, I'll put this on the graphic for the show posting, the uh, the feasting of the, uh, the All-American turkey by the foreign fanatics. And the same thing, Lex Luger about to carve up the uh, foreign fanatic turkey with uh, two teams, one with Tatanka, one with The Undertaker. Yeah, the uh, so this was the first time that the uh, the art the my art director uh, and the creative director uh, had the uh, confidence in me to take on one of the you know the artwork that was going to represent a pay per view event. Before that, I was doing you know all the concept, the costume concepts, and I was doing merchandise art. I did you know Undertaker's first T shirt. I did you know pen and ink work, this and that. So at the time, Joe Jusco, um, a friend of mine, was he's a big Marvel comic artist and uh, he's done a uh, he's a like, you know, comic legend. Um, he was doing a lot of the freelance art for the WWF and um, they uh, they they came to me and they, you know, they gave me the concept and they asked me, you know, do you think you could do it? I was like, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, right up my alley. Um, let's give it a shot. And uh, that was when I painted, I worked at home. I did not work in-house. So the, the idea was to just the, the, uh, the first illustration was the, uh, of course, the good guys with Lex uh, and Tatanka and, um, and the Steiners. And they did not have plans to do a second page until I handed in the painting and they loved it so much that they were like, oh, my God, in the magazine, it'll be perfect if they uh, you turn the page. And the following page is the foreign fanatics. Um, the problem was, was that I worked, uh, you know, I was working, uh, you know, long hours to get the painting done on time because I was going on vacation to Europe that, uh, 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 that following day. So they already had it approved by Vince. And they were like, there's really, we, there's no, you know, we're, we're, we're screwed right now if you can't get this painting done. And so I actually went home and the foreign fanatics painting was done in one day. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, yep. I pulled it uh, 24 hours. I put on a pot of coffee, literally worked for just about 24 hours straight, brought the painting in, got it approved and got on a plane and, you know, flew out to Europe. Uh, and pretty much passed out on the whole flight. <laughs> yeah, surprised. So. I'm not surprised, especially looking at that group uh, all night long. They'll be haunting your uh, your nightmares while you're flying. <laughs> right. Um, and then actually, when I got back from vacation, they were like, all right, we have a bigger problem. 
uh, Tatanka got hurt and he's uh, he's out of the event. Now we need you to paint Undertaker in the exact pose so we could Photoshop, uh, you know, the, the image on top for the uh, VHS cover. So, yeah, that that was um, that was a really proud moment for me to uh, to do that. Uh, and it was mostly because it was finally all I wanted to do as an illustrator was paint. And I was not painting while I was there. And they finally gave me the opportunity to do, you know, one of the major advertisements with, you know, with what I felt I did best. So it was uh, it was kind of like the introduction to um, the full color uh, advertisements I did for them. It's so iconic. I mean, and I remember loving it in 1993 when I first saw it inside the magazine for the first time and it still to this day holds up as probably the greatest cover art they've ever had. Now, a lot of their cover art prior was like you said, like the Legion of doom poster was two guys superimposed on a, uh, you know, a background, you know, whether it's uh, slaughter and Hogan in front of the American flag or, uh, you know, SummerSlam and there's be- being flames behind somebody. This is where it changed. This is where they got, had to get creative and this was just again. It's, it's 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 funny to say it's a work of art in wrestling form, and and most people wouldn't think that when you think of pro wrestling. But this is a legit, just unbelievable uh, uh, spectacle to look at still to this day. What was Vince's reaction? Did anybody give you that? Uh, to the uh, Survivor Series? Yes. Um, you know, all, just you know, my memory. Uh, I don't remember getting any direct feedback from Vince, but I know overall um, just the overall feedback was super positive. Uh, and that's what lent itself to the second painting. Um, and then of course, you know, whenever, you know, you wonder as an artist, like, did you, if you did a good enough job, well, the answer usually comes when they give you the next one. And then the next job was the actual Royal rumble uh, 94 uh, advertised poster art. So, you know, that was the uh, that was the evidence that they were happy with Survivor Series. Yeah. Then so then we move on. Yeah. Royal Rumble 94, which is the next pay-per-view, which at that point, look, you know, the kids today are very spoiled. We had to just have a few pay-per-views a year. So when the Royal Rumble comes around, you know, had you asked me as a you know 12 year old, I would never have known it's the same artist doing the the actual uh painting you know i thought it looked really cool but it's different and i like how on your website you have the you know the the sketch out version and then the kind of final version where everybody's spaced out a little more but what do they do they tell you who they want on it you kind of have to get creative on what you're doing it's the royal rumble so everybody's kind of flying out of the tv like you would be ejected from the match uh so is that kind of playing into your uh, your thought process yeah they basically uh from what i remember uh they told me they wanted um the feel of larger than life, the actual characters coming out of the TV and interacting with the viewers because it's that, you know, because it's that dynamic. Um, So, you know, they basically said, you know, do, do your thing. Um, In this one, they gave me a a lot of creative room to kind of play around with the uh, composition and stuff. So, of course, the giant TV with all the wrestlers kind of pouring out of it. And then the people on the couch, um, funny enough, is um, uh, was my what is my wife, the kid next door, um, my uh, brother-in-law's best friend at the time. And (laughs) 
Mike Foley, who's one of was one of the art directors at the WWF. Those oh, are the wow. three people. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. What, what was your wife's reaction to being in the painting? She does not like. She does not like well, you know, being photographed and things like that. But I was like, you know what? It, it was in a pinch. Of course, the deadline's always uh, tight. So, um, you know, she she was a good sport about it, and it, it and it went just fine. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the very few uh, illustrations that you know she, that she uh, that she actually agreed to participate in. Now, you mentioned the videos, and I'll just cover this briefly because I also do a show about Coliseum Video on this uh, the same podcast feed uh, once a month. It's gotten a great response, and there's a huge demand for Coliseum videos and the love that people have for those videos. Uh, and you're again, your Survivor Series and Royal Rumble artwork appeared on the cover of those videos. Did you do any other work for the uh, the VHS tapes? No. Uh, the um, as far as I know, my artwork might have been used on them um, off the, you know, off the top of my head. Uh, it was pretty much, you know, just the ones that we just talked about. But, you know, I was doing so much artwork for them. I don't know if they wound up using and I'm just unaware that they were, you know, the artwork was used for them. Uh, but as far as I know, the Royal Rumble and the Survivor Series, uh, you know, that, you know, that might be it. Did that stuff get done in your same department or would that have been outsourced to another area that it's a home video release rather than, you know, in the magazine or concept art? Was that something that your department would handle? Yeah, you know, that's a good question, actually, because typically uh, the art department handled all the design work and it got sent out. You know, there was a lot of uh, control that the WWF demanded with, when it came to, uh, you know, releasing artwork and things like that. I would have to, if I guessed, and I, I don't know the exact answer, if um, Coliseum Video had an art department that did, you know, the video cover designs with the type and all that kind of stuff. I would think that one of the designers at the WWF designed it and sent it off to Coliseum Video. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, we're, we're trying on Coliseum. Uh, I call it Coliseum Chad because the name on the podcast is Chad. So I call it that. And people are absolutely like just going nuts over the Coliseum video stuff. So we got to ask, do you have your Coliseum videos of your two events of your artwork? You know, I, I believe I have at definitely one, maybe two of them. Uh, I'm not sure along the way. I hate to say it, but I think somebody taped over, like literally taped over like TV show or something in the VHS and taped over one of them. <laughs> We're going to have to get Tom Fleming some uh, some copies of these old Coliseum videos. Uh, high dollar these days, Tom. They, they go for a lot, but, you know, we maybe we can manage to find you <laughs> a copy or two. Uh, before we get to the, the closeout here, uh, when did you leave the WWF and what was the decision process? Well, it was kind of a it was kind of a slow exit. Um, it let's see back let's uh, I guess around ninety four when the scandals you know when Vince really started getting hit heavy with the um, you know with the Ring Boy and the and tax evasion like there was some steroid stuff. There was a lot of scandals going on, and a lot of it is um, was Joe Weeder, uh, you know, it basically um, being big dog when Vince tried to step on, you know, kind of step on his turf with the bodybuilding stuff. Right. Um, 
I watched every freelance artist in the company laid off and I was the last one in the company. And um, my boss was just doing her very best to keep me on. And then I remember her coming to me with uh, with tears in her eyes. And she was like, it's you know, this is it. Um, We got to we got to let you go. I have like a, a couple of assignments that I want you to work on. Uh, as a free, you know, a, a freelancer, but not in house. We have to, you know, take your, uh, you know, the, the electronic pass uh, that got you in the building. Um, they had to take that. I worked from home, and the last costume that I ever designed was the uh, Sparky Plug Bob Holly costume. And then in '95, a, f- a few months later, my buddy Mike Foley, who the, guy, the art director who's sitting on the couch in the Royal Rumble painting, he called me and he said, listen, man, he goes, we uh, just got the green light to start using freelancers again. How would you, you know, how would you like doing some um, iconic illustrations for the merchandise uh, catalog of some of the, you know, some of the big, you know, the big names. And so I was working this is by this time I moved from uh, from New York to North Carolina so I was working out of my studio in North Carolina on those paintings that you see on my website of yeah. Undertaker, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, uh, Bam Bam. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of them. And I was working strictly freelance. And that lasted uh, that lasted a couple, like maybe 95, 96-ish. Then I had a, 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 a period of time where I did not do any work for them. And then in 2002... My creative director uh, recontacted me and said, how would you like to uh, work on some more new concepts, new uh, costume concepts? And they hired me to do team angles, sweatsuits, design the costume for uh, Mr. America, the Hulk Hogan, uh, the Hulk Hogan gimmick. And um, and the biggest uh, Kane, Kane's new costume. So, yeah, back. So in 2002. It turns out, you know, instead of me creating the characters, they were hiring me to uh, redesign some big names, right. which was a whole different thing for me. And, um, and from that era, it, that's probably the, you just named three of the things that stand out the most. When Kane's costume switched, it was a big deal and it looked so much more fresh on him and it was it changed the character. The team angle sweatsuits like a cult following online. Everybody loved those. And that's a missed merchandising opportunity by them. And Mr. America, you know, albeit at the time on TV was a little goofy. People look back at it very fondly. And that's a huge part of Hulk Hogan's history. Looking back is that brief couple of months is Mr. America. So that's the crazy thing about this whole thing. So when I left and stopped working in 2002, um, you know, 25 years, 25, almost 30 years go by. And uh, and I start uh, reaching out on social media during the pandemic um, to kind of reconnect because I wasn't doing conventions. I was like, yeah, let me. Go. And I started like kind of, you know, going to specific groups I had no idea when I left all of that behind um, some, some, a lot of the stuff that I was actually embarrassed and never mentioned. (laughs) Um, I was getting messages of endearment and like, you know, and you know, Mr. America was one of them. Giant Gonzalez. I, I, I was like, Oh man, I'm never admitting to that. 
<laughs> and uh, it turns out, you know, some of these things that I had no idea um, that I thought, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, when you're redesigning Kane's costume, there's a there's some pressure involved there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just anyway, the um, the feedback was not what I expected. And I'm sure the there's negative feedback out there. Um, but the feedback I received was actually quite wonderful and very surprising uh, that it wasn't uh, a blanket of like, holy crap, what were you thinking kind of thing. I Yeah, I can't think of anything, but wow, it looks great. And those are <laughs> the things you did when you came back are uh, just as unique and cool as the stuff you did in the 90s. Uh, so until uh, your next piece of wrestling commission, we will uh, put the uh the the bookmark there and we will uh maybe chat again about this and and dive a little deeper but i've taken enough time out of your day so let's get to the big uh plug rooney let's talk about the website and all the great pieces you have on it anywhere you are on social media please share with the listeners of new generation declassified where they can find the art of tom fleming yep the um actually the website uh you know easily you can, it's easier to remember because, you know, I used to go by Flemart and um, a lot of people uh, kind of mispronounce, you know, they, they're they like uh, flea market kind of. So I Tom, <laughs> Tom Fleming artwork dot com is the, the easiest way to remember it. Uh, I have uh, a lot of stuff on there, a lot of prints uh, that are for sale. And then I also have a lot of original artwork that I did back in the day that were that was that is still sitting in my flat files. Um, and I, ha I still own the original paintings for the survivor series. Um, I've gotten offers on those and, uh, those are not going to go until the right offer comes in. Um, I have the original artwork for the undertaker's t-shirt. Um, the first t-shirt. So I have a, I have a bunch of, iconic historical WWF artwork and then um you know the reproductions of them also unbelievable uh, the sketches are just there again I've been staring at them while we're talking they are so cool <laughs> that if you're a fan you you got to get on it yeah um as also as just a, a kind of we might want to revisit another interview um sometime down the road uh, right now I was approached and I can't talk about it yet because it's, um, it has not been released, but I am working on the first time, uh, the first time in a long time, a new W, uh, new wrestling project. And it's nice. a pretty big one and I'll offer more information on social media and things like that when the uh, time is appropriate. Uh, but it's going to be really fun. I just started it. And uh, it's got to be done by WrestleMania. So we'll see. I'll uh, I'll share when I can. And, um, you know, and in the meantime, if anybody wants to see new artwork, I did work with Brian Clark on a new painting for his for his merchandise line um, of the um, nuclear warning. Uh, it's called nuclear warning painting. And uh, that was a real fun one. Yeah, I mean, he's great when it comes to the, the merchandise and definitely. Uh, monetizing that character because there's so many cool ones. And Adam Baum is definitely from this new generation era, one of the ones that stands out uh, for sure. So, all right, well, we'll wrap up here today. Also, you can find uh, Tom on Twitter if you want to uh, give the Twitter address. I just had it in front of me and I lost it. Hold on one second. I'm going to go back. You can find Tom at 
Drum roll, please. Flem underscore art. <laughs> all that buildup and all it is at Flem underscore art on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I, I implore you to follow and see some of these sketches that we're talking about as well as visiting his website. Any final words before we say goodbye? Um, nope. I appreciate the, uh, the interest and the time, uh, you know, giving me to kind of share these, uh, old memories and stuff. And, you know, I'll, uh, I, you know, I would love to, you know, create some new wrestling memories, which I'm beginning to do and we'll keep, uh, we'll keep in touch and I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.